Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Today we're going to finish up our series, Disillusion, What Do We Do When We Doubt? And I want to take a little bit uh, of a, a different uh, direction. I, I think sometimes, uh, as we've talked about, it's common sometimes to struggle a little bit with, with, with our faith in, in God, believing that God can do. We, we opened up today talking about uh, anything is possible, and I think sometimes we can struggle there, and sometimes we believe that with God all things are possible. We believe that, that, that God can do anything. How many would agree with that? God can do anything, right? God can do the impossible, right? I think sometimes the doubt isn't necessarily that we don't believe that God cannot do it, but sometimes we struggle to believe that God can do it through us. Uh, there, there's some self-doubt. There's some doubt as to whether God might be able to use someone like myself, someone like you. I know that uh, early on, uh, as, a, as a, a young believer, particularly as I was growing up, uh, that there were times where I struggled to believe that I had anything uh, worth offering the Lord. There were times where I struggled uh, very much to, 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 to wonder, God, do I have any gifts or do I have any talent? Is there anything that, uh, that is there any way you could possibly use me? I don't, I don't know that that's, that that's the case. There are times even throughout uh, ministry and throughout times where I've, I, I've given my life to serve the Lord in ministry, but there have been times where I've said, God, I don't know if I'm the right person for this. I don't know if, if, if I'm, I'm who you've chosen to, I don't, I don't think this is the right the right door. I don't think you can, I don't, I, you might be able to use somebody else, but I don't think you can use me. Has anybody else ever struggle just personally with saying, God, I don't know uh, if, if you can possibly, you know, use me? Yeah, I, I, I think there's those, those struggles that, that, that we face from time to time. And I think sometimes, if it's not about our gifts or, or questioning those gifts, sometimes we begin to look at maybe uh, our, our own life, the decisions that we've made, and maybe we, we've, we've, we've taken some decisions that have not followed God's path. There's been some things that we've done uh, where we just feel like maybe have disqualified us from, from, from God being able to use us. Well, if you knew my past, Pastor, you would, you would know that uh, I'm just, I'm too bad for God to be able to use. Or, you know, I have these things in my life, these, they just keep coming up. I just can't seem to overcome. I just keep, you know, I just got these things. I just can't seem to get past that. And I just, I don't, I don't know if God can use me. And I, I think if we, if we're honest, sometimes our doubt is not so much in God's abilities but in God's ability and, and his grace and his mercy, his ability to be able to use us. And so today, I just like to kind of delve into that a little bit. And, and I want to talk about, and specifically to those that at times you feel a little bit insecure, or maybe you feel a little bit insufficient or inadequate when it comes to serving the Lord. And I think there's all kinds of reasons for that. Uh, but I first want to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. The Apostle Paul was writing to some people in the church in Ephesus. And this is what he says to them For we are God's masterpiece, that he created us, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. Good things that he planned for us 
long ago. What's a masterpiece? What, is, what does the word masterpiece mean? Well, it comes from the Greek word poema. That's where we get our word poem from, and uh, the English word poem. And, uh, and, and it basically is a, a product or a creation with a designated purpose. A product or creation with a designated purpose. You were created by God for God. You were created by God for God. And, it, and, it, and, and we might doubt a little bit. We might look at ourselves and there's no way. But I want you to know that when God created you, he created you with purpose. When God created you, he, as Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms says, that he knit you together. He formed you and knit you together. Literally, you are a work of art. In fact, in a, in a book that Tom Patterson wrote, uh, he, he said this, the fascinating thing to me is that literally everything God makes is unique. That is every human, every animal, every flower, uh, 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 every tree, every blade of grass. He says even identical, identical twins possess their own individual uniqueness. And that ought to tell us something about our individuality, which is a sacred trust, and, and, and that what we, what we do with it is our gift to God. Let me read that again that he wrote. I love this. This ought to tell us that our individuality is a sacred trust, and what we do with it is our gift to God. And he goes on to write this. He said, our best contribution in life, our utmost for its highest, can only be made as we allow God to finish his work in progress and perfect our uniqueness. To live without discovering our uniqueness is not to really live. And I think God is heartbroken when we, his children, miss out on the potential that he has placed inside of us. God has created you with purpose. God has created you with an opportunity to be able to use your unique gifts and your unique experiences and your unique testimony to be able to honor him. And oftentimes, though, we struggle with that. We look at ourselves and we think, I don't know how that could be. There are certainly other people that seem a whole lot more qualified than I do. And yet this morning, I want to encourage you that you are God's masterpiece and God has designed you for his glory. For his glory. God wants you to understand how he's created you and that God can work and wants to work in and through your life to glorify him and to touch others around you. The reality is that this moment, oftentimes when we begin to take a step in that direction, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I step out in a certain direction, particularly where I feel a little unsteady, I might initially step out in faith, but then all of a sudden, the self-doubts begin to come. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, God, are you really there? God, I don't know if you told me to do this. And it just seems like I thought this was going to go a lot better than it is, and it isn't. And what do we do now? And, and sometimes the self-doubt begins to, to creep in. And I pray that when that happens, God's going to take the message we're going to share this morning. And I, I want to talk about three particular 
qualities of, of people. Who does God use? What are the qualities of the people that God uses? I want to look at three individual stories today, two from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. And I want to, I want to begin to unpack for you so that you can see in Scripture some examples of the kind of people that God uses. Who does God most often use? Number one, God uses the insecure. So if you find yourself struggling with some insecurity, I want to encourage you this morning that God uses people who feel insecure, people who struggle with their own abilities. To illustrate, I want to look at an Old Testament book in the book of Judges. How many remember the Old Testament book of Judges? So if you have your copy of God's Word, you got to go all the way back. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then we head into Joshua. And right after Joshua is a period of time in Israel's history that is known as the Judges. And what was the Judges? Well, what we see is, is that after the, the generation that, that Joshua had led into the Promised Land, that had conquered the Promised Land, when Joshua stopped being the leader and that generation died out, there was another generation that rose up that Scripture tells us did not know the Lord or remember His work of what He had done. And so when they were in that position, they began to serve other idols. They began to look at the nations around them and the, the gods that those nations served, and they began to worship and serve those other nations' gods, even though God had said, have no other God before me. They began to easily drift away from serving the Lord. And, and what happened is, is God would say, okay, you're going to serve those other gods? Well, let those other gods protect you. Let those other gods provide for you. Let those other gods meet your needs. And so the God would begin to lift his hand of protection off of the Israelites. Sounds like a terrible thing, but it was really grace and mercy. The enemies would come in. They would begin to, to oppress the, the Israelites. And, and what that would do is, is then cause them to wake up and begin to cry out to the God of their ancestors, the God God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that delivered them from their slavery in Egypt, the God that allowed them to, to, to shout down the walls of Jericho. And as they called on the name of the Lord, again, going back, His grace and His mercy, God would step in and He would raise up a judge and a deliverer who would then lead them into deliverance from their enemy. And during the time that that judge would be in place, they would begin to serve the Lord. And then when that judge died, the cycle would would happen all over again. Well, in one of these particular cycles, God had allowed the Midianites to begin to come in and to oppress the, the nation of Israel, begin to oppress the people of, of Israel. And, and as they began to, to, to move away, one of the things that would happen is, 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 is for seven years this took place, that, that they would work the fields, they would work hard, they would work in the fields, they would work with their wheat. And then when the harvest time would come, the Midianites would come down and they would consume and steal all of the harvest. They would come in and take the wheat away. They would come in. It was kind of like, a, uh, you know, the, the stories of a little boy who would, who would bring his lunch to school only to have the bully come and take his lunch away from him at lunchtime. And that's kind of what the Midianites were. They were kind of a, a bully that would come in and, and just at the time of the harvest, they would, they would kind of stay away. But then when the harvest would come, they'd come in and they would take the complete, all the harvest away from the Israelites. And the Israelites were, it was just impossible to be able to stop them. And this was going on and going on. And finally, for seven years this was happening, God shows up. And this is what it says in Judges chapter 6 starting in verse 11. 
the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of uh, Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press <coughs> to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So what stands out to me is, is that Gideon is not a mighty warrior. He is knowing that the harvest is coming. He's trying to keep the harvest away from the Midianites. So what does he do? He decides that he's going to take uh, the, the wheat that he's threshing, and he's going he's gonna to thresh it in a wine press. You know, a wine press is not the place where you thresh wheat. You would take it out onto a, a, a stone area out in the open where you would beat it down, throw it in the air, and the wind would go and blow away the shaft. That's how you would do it. The wine press was a place where when, you, when, your, when your grape crop was ready to go, you'd put it in the wine press, and the, the young ladies, the young virgins would come, and they would begin to dance at harvest time, and they would squeeze out all of the, all of the, 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 the grape juice to be able to ma- ma- be made into wine. It was not out in the open. It was a hidden place, and so Gideon is trying to hide his wheat from the bullies. He knows the Midianites are going to come, and he's trying to hide the wheat harvest from the bullies, so he's making life more difficult for himself by being in the wine press and trying to do it in the midst of the wine press rather than out in the open. And right in the midst of his own fear, in the midst of his own insecurity, all of a sudden, God shows up through the angel of the Lord on the scene, and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, let's take a look at some of the doubt that takes place. Because we see it in Gideon's own self-talk. We see it in his response. And from his response, what we see are two elements about doubt that result from insecurities. First, Gideon's self-talk reveals doubt concerning his faith in God. Look at verse 13. This is Gideon's response. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has he allowed all this to happen to us? Why why has all this happened to us? Why has he allowed this? Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon said, Lord, I've heard about your power. I've heard about it from our ancestors. I've heard that in the past, when our ancestors were were enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt and had been there for 400 years, we've heard about your power and what you did to the Egyptians and how you destroyed them and how you set our people free. But I don't know where you are because you seem to abandon us. I I don't know where that power is now. And there are some of you today that if you're honest in your self-talk have said, I've heard of the stories of old. I've heard about the stories of when my grandparents were serving the Lord and how God in power and mind, there was revival and there were healings and there were powerful prayer meetings and there was the spirit. But oh, where is that power today? Where is that power today? That's, that's in essence what, what Gideon is saying. The Lord, <coughs> excuse me, has abandoned us. 
We, we've heard about it, but the pain we're experiencing now has erased any belief that we think that you're even with us or you're even going to do anything today. There is a, a self-talk here that Gideon says, Lord, I've heard about your power. I've heard about those things, but I don't know right now if I can believe it. I don't know if I can believe it. And sometimes I think that's the case. We we struggle to be able to trust God. We might have heard about his power. We might have read about some things that scripture tells us that God has done and God has the ability to do, but it's been a while since we've seen anything or experienced anything in our own lives. For us, it's more like, God, where are you? It feels like you've abandoned us. Yet earlier, this is what God had said through a prophet to Israel. Verse 7, Judges 6, 7, if we Go back verses before when, when we come to Gideon, just a few verses before, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors, I drove them out before you and gave you their land, and I said to you, I am the Lord God, do not worship other gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. Land you live. Now listen, listen, listen. Everything that is said here, this is what Gideon replied back to the Lord. Lord, we've heard about your power. We've heard what you did. We heard how you did it. But the part he leaves out is this. But you have not listened to me. But you have not listened to me. There are times, I think, that, that quite frankly, we just, we, we struggle with doubt because we're just simply not obeying what God has told us to do. Can we just be honest? Sometimes the insecurity that we face, particularly when it comes to the Lord, really comes out of the fact that you and I have not really been doing what God said we should do. We just simply haven't been obedient to the Lord. We haven't been obedient. You see, rather than admit that the circumstances that the Israelites were facing was not so much a problem on God's end, but a problem because the people were being disobedient and taking ownership of that, Gideon chooses to try to shift it back over. Lord, you've abandoned us, and, 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 and we've heard about this stuff, but you've abandoned us. You've, you've abandoned us. You've, you've left us. The self-talk was based on fear. It was based on insecurity. And the question is, what self-talk based on fear and insecurity are you choosing to believe? What self-talk are you choosing to believe? Do you want to, the enemy loves to, to make us feel as if God has abandoned us. The enemy wants us to believe that God has left us, that, that God will not be there. But as, I, I, as we read during communion, and uh, you know, with, 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 even with Jonah, even when it came to the Ninevites who were not Israelites, God had not made a covenant with them at all. And yet, in God's mercy, he warned them through the prophet. And when they repented, God relented. When they repented, God said, all right, I'm gonna, I, I, my grace and, and mercy will show up. Maybe the, the insecurities that we have are not based on the fact that God isn't going to do his part, but maybe we need to repent and get back to doing our part, to do what God has called us to do. God has not abandoned you. God is 
for you, but the enemy wants you to believe that God has abandoned you, that God is against you, and God is not against you. He's for you, and he is calling you. Secondly, we see that Gideon's self-conk reveals some doubt concerning faith in himself, concerning his faith in himself. And this is reinforced in Judges chapter 6 and verse 4 when he says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So God's response is not to defend himself and say, well, listen, you're in the situation you're in because you've not listened to me. You say that I've abandoned you. He says, I'm not even going to listen to that. I'm calling you Gideon and I'm saying, go in the strength you have. I'm saying for you, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength that I'm giving you. I am sending you. Am I not sending you? And then Gideon has these, these questions. He doesn't see himself as the Lord sees him. And so in verse 15, he says, well, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Gideon begins to see all the reasons why God can't possibly be calling him. All the reasons why God can't possibly be speaking to him. This can't be you, Lord. This can't be your voice, Lord. This can't be what you do. You don't, you don't really seem to know me. Out of my tribe, Manasseh, my, my clan is the weakest. And, and, and in my family uh, alone, I'm, I'm the least. I'm the least. And here I am. I mean, you, you, you see it yourself. They're, they're, the Midianites are coming. And where am I? I'm not out to try to fight the Midianites. I'm trying to hide in a wine press. I'm trying to keep my lunch. I'm trying to keep my harvest. God, what are you doing? How often do we listen to self-talk that says we're not good enough? We don't have the right... We don't have the right uh, education. We don't know enough about Scripture. You don't, we don't come from the right family heritage. You don't know my, my background. You don't, you don't know my situation. And we struggle to believe that God could use anyone like us. I don't know about you, but I think if an angel showed up, uh, you know, like he did to Gideon, if an angel showed up and said, God's calling you, that'd be pretty hard to deny, wouldn't it? I mean, you got to really feel pretty insecure about yourself for an angel to show up and say, the Lord is calling you, and for you to argue with an angel and say, I don't think so. You, God, you don't know. And yet, I, I kind of think that, that, that some of us do that with God all the time, that God speaks to us through his word, or God speaks to us and encourages us through someone else. We, we know what God is wanting us to do. We know that he's encouraged us and wanting us to do something, and yet, uh, we kind of argue with God. I don't think, not me. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go to Bible college. Not me. I, I don't really know a, a, enough. Not me. I don't really have the, not me. Do you know my background? Do you know what I've been? Not me. Right? We're really good with the not me. But God sees more in us than we see in ourselves. We, we see this pattern throughout Scripture that God oftentimes sees more in us than we see in ourselves. I mean, when you take a look, when God first spoke to, to a guy by the name of Abraham, his name was not Abraham, it was Abram. It was Abram, father of multitude, or, or Abram, and God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of multitude. His wife's name was Sarai, which meant princess, and he changed it to Sarah, mother of nations, before she ever even conceived a child in her womb. She was still barren. Jesus changed a, 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 a guy by the name of Simon, which means shifting sand, to Peter, rock, before he'd done anything significant. And oftentimes, Peter acted more like Simon than he acted like like Peter. 
Was Gideon a mighty warrior when God spoke to him? No. No. Are, are you and I, are you and I the kind of person right away when God speaks to us? No. No, but God sees in us what he wants us to be. God sees in us what he's created us to be. God sees in us that work, that masterpiece, that poema that he has made, that he has crafted for his glory. And part of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ ourselves is learning how to receive the new identity that we have in Christ. Behold, the old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. And part of that is beginning to see ourselves as in Christ. And what is our identity in Christ? Not our identity on our own. Not our identity in our past. But your identity in Christ prepares you to be able to be used by Christ. That you you might find yourself as being insecure in some way, but I'm going to tell you something. In Christ, you have a secure position to honor God with your gifts for his glory. In fact, we oftentimes lack confidence. The word confidence comes from the Latin word confine, which is broken down into two words, con, meaning with, and fide, meaning faith, meaning with faith. Having confidence uh, doesn't mean that you believe in yourself, but it means that you put your faith in God, and in Him, in Him, you have confidence in Christ. By putting your faith in Christ, there is a new confidence that, that, that comes with that. Secondly, who does God use? God uses the unlikely. Those people that others overlook. And I can think of no greater example than in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel was a prophet and Saul had disobeyed the Lord. Saul had, had been confronted. He had not repented. He, he, his heart was not one that was after the Lord. And so God rejected him as king and told Samuel, I want you to go. I want you to go and I want you to anoint a new king. You're going to go to the family, to the house of Jesse. He's got some sons and when you show up there, you're going to anoint one of his sons to be the next king uh, of Israel. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's home, and he's wondering, uh, well, who's it going to be? Which son is it going to be? Which one do I choose? And, and when the oldest son, Eliab, presents himself before Samuel, Samuel thinks to himself, and this is what it says in 1 Samuel 16, 6, when they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Surely Eliab is the guy. He, he's, he's the firstborn. Check, that checks the box. Man, he's tall and handsome. That, that checks the box. He, man, this guy, I, I think this is the one that the Lord has, has chosen. It's kind of like the NFL combine. I mean, you know, Eliab just comes and I mean, he fits all the mold of what you would see as this like star athlete player by every, every stretch of the imagination. It's got to be this one. But God says, no, 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 no. Oh, Samuel, First Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his height or his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Listen, God sees not as man sees. And I know this has been preached over and over and over again, but God is in the business of using people that others overlook. That others overlook. And one by one, as Jesse presented his sons before Samuel, each time they walked by, God said, nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. And over and over until they got to the end, and Samuel was kind of confused. What, what is going on here? And in verse 11, the first half says, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? 
And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he, he's out keeping the sheep. He, there, yeah, there is one more, but he's out with the sheep. Why would you? Well, I, I don't know. If none of these guys pass the test, surely the one out with the sheep, he ain't passing the test, right? I mean, David was the youngest, and his own father couldn't even see the potential in his life that God sees. God loves to use the unlikely. God loves to use those who others don't happen to see the potential, but God sees it. God saw that little shepherd boy, David, when he was out there in the sheep with an audience of one, that in the sheep, but an audience of one with God, and he's singing away, writing his worship songs, and he's, he's, he's cultivating his relationship with the Lord, and that confidence that he has doesn't, doesn't come because anyone else is affirming, but simply because he's being obedient to the Lord. And when all the lion and when the bear started to come to, to kill the sheep, he wasn't out to try to make a trophy of it. He wasn't out. That wasn't a Goliath moment. That was just an everyday thing that a little shepherd boy said, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just a little shepherd boy. How do I take care of a lion or how do I take care of a bear? But he learned in those moments when he was just out in the sheep, out in the night sky and nobody else was around, he knew how to depend on God. And when nobody else saw it and nobody else knew noticed, not even his own daddy, his heavenly father noticed. And God's heavenly father notices you. And he says, you might seem like you're the most unlikely. Everybody passes you over. Everybody looks past you and doesn't think it. Let me tell you something. When you've got a heart for the Lord, you don't worry about what everybody else sees. You only worry about what God sees. And what God sees, God sees in you someone that has a heart for him. That's the kind of person that God can use. That's who God uses. That's who God uses. God uses and specializes in using the unlikely. Thirdly, God uses failures. If you failed, if you say, ah, I can't be used by God because you don't know how many times I've messed up. And you know, I've made commitments to the Lord. I've, God, I'm going to get it right this time, only to go out and the next day I blow it again. I, I mean, I'm a failure. I don't see how God could possibly use me. Let me tell you something. God specializes in grace and mercy. God specializes in grace and mercy. I want to go back to the New Testament now. A guy who failed, <laughs> he was somebody that, that was specialized in, 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 in failure, success, failure, success, failure, success. His name is Peter. And Peter loved to run his mouth and it often got him in trouble. And on one occasion, he was bragging, telling Jesus how faithful he was going to be, how faithful he was going to be to Jesus. Jesus had, had, had called his disciples together. He was telling them, and, and much like the, the time frame of the Last Supper, he, he had got done with the Last Supper, and he gathered, and he told them, I'm going to be betrayed in the hands of sinners, and, and you're going to scatter. Y'all are going to scatter. This is what happened. And he, he looked particularly at Peter, and he said, listen, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. He, he, he's asked to sift you. He, he, he wants to sift you. You're going to deny even knowing me by the time this gets done. And Peter's not buying it. Luke 22, 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to both prison and death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Deny, the, uh, deny three times that you know me. I, I'm ready to go to prison and death. 
In fact, we get a few more details in Mark's gospel because not only is he saying, I'm willing to deny you, but he's saying, you know, these other, these other guys around me, they might be wusses, they might wuss out on me, you know, they may, not, they may not have the confidence, but not me, not me. Even if they fall away, Mark 14, 29, even if they, though they fall away, I will not, I will not, I will not, I will not. Hey, these other guys, they're going to they're gonna do that, but not me. And Jesus said to him, Peter, I got some bad news for you. <laughs> before the sun comes up tomorrow morning, before that rooster lets us know that the sun has come up and starts to crow, you're going to deny knowing me three times. Peter was so confident, so confident, so confident, but Jesus wasn't buying it. He was so confident. And then we know what happened early the next morning. Jesus is on trial. Jewish high court, Peter's there, he's on the outside, not able to go in on the outside, in the outside court, and one by one, a little servant girl and others come up, hey, you're, you're a Galilean, weren't you with him? You were one of his disciples, we think we saw you, we think we, we know you in this early morning light, you're, you were one of his disciples, not me, not me, not me, and finally in verse 60, Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about, and immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine the, the pain of that moment where you've had this conversation probably, you know, not even 12 hours before, six hours, I don't know how many hours before. You've, you've had this conversation with Jesus and, and you didn't want to believe it. You were so confident. And then and then you, you gave in the first time, and then the second time you gave in again, and the third time, you, and the rooster crows, and as the rooster crows, you turn, and Jesus, who you don't think maybe is even knowing what's going on, is turning and looking at you, and in that moment, in that stare, in that look, you recognize, man, I did it. I failed. I failed him. I failed him. How could I do that? How could I do that to my friend? How, how could I? How could I fail him like that? Could Peter, could Peter be restored? Could Peter be used by Jesus? Those of us in Sunday school, we, we might skip past the pain of that moment. For Peter, he didn't know the rest of the story. He didn't know what that, what that had looked like. Certainly there was the, the, the t- time where the, the tomb was empty and the ladies had come back to report and, and, and he ran to the tomb himself and looked in. And, and then when Jesus appeared, he appeared with all the disciples and showed him his hands and his side and his, his feet. But could he, could, he, could, he really, could he really use Peter? Could, he, could Peter really be used? That's great. Jesus came back. We had a chance to see him and try to make some things Kind of makes some things right. He seems kind of cool, but I don't know where, where is this at? And so we see a story where he's out fishing, just like he'd always done, he and the disciples, when Jesus shows up and there's a fire and it's in that moment where he's cooking breakfast as Peter gets out of the boat and runs to the shore that Jesus begins to ask him, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? And although it's a painful moment, it's a reconciliation moment, and we see that, that this Peter who had denied knowing Jesus in one moment 
has a moment with Jesus where his relationship with Jesus is restored and not just his relationship but his calling and his future is restored. And this Peter who, who was like silly putty in one day all of a sudden becomes confident and on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out, God begins to use him in a way that helps birth the New Testament church. And as he's beginning to preach on that day, one of the things that he calls the people to, he says, repent, <laughs> repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How could he preach that so confidently? Because Peter knew that when you repent, you receive forgiveness. That when you fail and you come to Jesus in your failure and you're willing to confess your failure, that Jesus Christ has the ability to be able to restore you and to be able to use you. And there's a new confidence that you have because of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of your Savior. Come on, somebody. He knows that you can be forgiven. He knows that you can be forgiven. You see, God wants to use every single one of you. Every single one of you. So you might say, well, God, I'm ready. I'm going to start big. Can I encourage you? Don't start big. Can we just start small? Can we just start small? What is God? What's the first step that God is taking is telling you. What's the, what's the first step? What's the first small step? You see, when we're faithful in the little, then, then we find that we can, be re, we can be rewarded with faithfulness and much. It starts with little steps. What's the little step of obedience that God is calling you to do? What's the little step of faith that God is calling you to do? What's that, that little step that God is calling you to take? And I want to encourage you this morning as we've been through this series, we've referenced, I think, almost every week when, when Jesus came walking on the water and uh, Peter and the, and, the, and the disciples are in the boat and they're afraid and, and, uh, and, 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 and as, they're, as they're in that boat and afraid, uh, Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you, tell me to step out of the boat. I, if that's you, tell me to step out. And Matthew 14, 28 and 29, Peter answered, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. And he said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, we know what happened the rest of the story, right? He took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. Come on, we do that from time to time. But Peter was the only one to get out of the boat. He was the only one to take the step. And, and if you want to be used by the Lord and see what God can do through you, through your insecurities and through the fact that you might be the most unlikely person and through your failures, it starts by taking one small step and saying, Jesus, Jesus, are you inviting me to take this step? And Jesus says, yes, I am. What will you do in that moment? Are you going to stay right where you're at? Or are you going to be willing to step out and see the possibilities of what Jesus wants to do through you? Through you. Worship team, will you come? Let's bow our heads this morning. Let's bow our heads this morning. And I just, I want to just in this moment while we're here, I want to just ask you, there, there may be, someone here that you're just, you, you are struggling saying, I, I, I have failed. I, like, like, like Peter, you, Lord, I have failed you. Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I, like Paul, you might even say, I'm the chiefs of sinners. I, you don't know me. I just, I have sinned. I have, I, I need, I need the forgiveness and the grace of the Lord. And if, if that's you this morning, will you just slip up your hand and just say, pastor, I just need to, to repent. I need to ask Jesus to forgive me today. I need his forgiveness today. 
and you just want to, you just need Jesus' forgiveness. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? Pastor, I need his forgiveness today. I, I, I have messed up and I need his forgiveness today. I need the forgiveness of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray right now. And if that's you, will you just right now just say, Jesus, please forgive me today. His grace and his mercy abound. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you today for your love and grace and for your mercy. And we ask you right now to forgive us. We come and we repent. We repent of our sin. We repent, God, of, 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 of falling short of your glory. We repent, Father. And we ask you, Lord, for your restoration. We ask you, Lord, for your forgiveness. We ask you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we ask you to use us for your glory. For your glory, we ask you to use us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Is there anyone else you're here and you'd say, you know, I've just been feeling insecure. I've just been struggling with whether God can use me. And you just say, I just, I need the confidence that comes from the Lord. I need his confidence. If that's you, will you just slip up your hand? You're just struggling with confidence. You're struggling with insecurity. You're just, you just need the Lord. You say, God, I need you to use me. I've been struggling with some confidence. Yeah, Jesus, you see those that are raising their hands. They just, they're responding. I just struggle with some confidence. I struggle uh, with some insecurities. And Lord, I just, I know that you have your hand upon their lives. I know, God, that you desire to use them Father, in mighty ways. So, Lord, we give you our insecurities. We give you our weaknesses. We give you, we, we give that to you. And we ask you, Jesus, to use us for your glory, not our own, not to elevate ourselves, but God, that we might be used for your glory as a testimony of what your hand can do, what your grace can do, what your mercy can do. Jesus, we thank you and bless you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.